Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And if you thought we did a good job of not talking about Brexit for two years, um, we're trying (laughs) really, really hard not to talk about the coronavirus situation at the moment. Uh, So we decided to focus on something slightly more positive, um, something that was a hot topic before all of this kicked off, and that is the circular economy and the way that it is changing the way that we do business. Uh, An article in The Explorer talks about a lot of different ways in which the circular economy is uh, changing the way that farmers are operating and that they're able to replace, uh, recycle nitrogen to produce fertiliser. We've got um, spare parts being 3D printed and we've got um, reducing consumption through local printing on demand. And those are the types of things that actually reduce the waste output of business. And essentially, that's what we're talking about when we talk about the circular economy. Tracy, what have you found or what do you know about the circular economy? Okay, so I went straight to a website called rap.org.uk and that's the website for the Waste and Resources Action Programme. That's a registered charity in the UK. They give a nice definition and a diagram of the circular economy. There's lots of detail on here, so it's well worth going and having a look at the website and I'm sure we'll be sharing that link on our blog later on but they describe the circular economy as an alternative to the traditional linear economy so the linear economy is make use dispose and in contrast the circular economy takes into account design and and so as you're designing your product and thinking about how you're going to make it and how you're going to use it, you're also going to think about how you're going to reuse it and how you're going to recycle it. So the the economy is then in this circle from design and manufacture uh, to use and reuse back to recycle and it comes all the way round in a loop. It's very neat, actually. Um, the idea is that we keep the resources in use for as long as possible extract the maximum value from them whilst they're in use and then recover and regenerate the products and materials at the end of each service life. So rather than just disposing of it and extracting um, whatever you can, it's designed in to be able to extract the maximum out of a product when it gets to the end of its life. Um, the, The website explains why it's so important. So to reduce waste, Um, to get greater resource productivity, to be more competitive in the economy, um, to better address emerging resource scarcity issues and to help with the environmental impact. So all really positive. This stuff's been around for a long time, but it's just starting to um, get traction now. There's a great deal of opportunity for businesses and that's a really good reason for having it as our topical discussion at the moment. I think of it as a bit like a chicken. Okay, go on then. Stick with me, stick with me. So when I was a kid, we might have a roast chicken on a Sunday. And then on the Monday, we would have something made from the leftover chicken. And then the carcass would be boiled to make stock, which would then make a soup. So we made sure that we'd extracted absolutely everything out of that chicken before it was discarded and I'm I'm not a gardener but I guess can it be ground down and put on the 
plants, I don't know. But, you know, it's absolutely completing that circle and making sure that you've utilised everything. I suppose if you're going to create that circle then, Heather, you can grind up um, animal bones, can't you, to uh, for fertiliser? Yeah. And then you grow in the plants to feed to your next chicken. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so that, yeah, that takes it a whole step further. By the way, we should should add we are not experts on this. There are lots of really good resources <laughs> that will explain this much better. But I like your thinking with the chicken. <laughs> what, one thing that um, I mentioned previously uh, on a previous show was um, Toast Beer. And they're a company who, uh, I can't remember the stats, but um, the percentage of bread that is made and wasted is is phenomenal. It's it's a scary number. Um, and this organisation collects bread and then turns it, uses it to replace some of the hop content into making beer. So again, it's finding a waste product, a, a byproduct, and thinking about what else you could do with that before you you send it to landfill or or wherever yeah. it might be. And I get, I presume that the leftover bread matter can be used by somebody else um, once the benefits for making the beer have been extracted. Yeah, and and I think there's a lot of more creative thinking that's starting to come into the business world with this sort of thing. And I don't think it's just a touchy-feely sort of, oh, let, let's be happy-clappy about the environment. There are actual real business benefits to be had here. Um, if you look at um, the RAP website, they estimate, or rather DEFRA have calculated, that UK businesses could benefit by up to £23 billion per year through low-cost or no-cost improvements in the efficient use of resources. And at McKinsey, which we've talked about previous in previous shows, they estimate that the global value of resource efficiency could eventually reach 3.7 trillion per year. So wow. there is real opportunity to be had here. This website is really interesting in that it also has access to funding. So you know, if you've got an idea or you want to explore how you might put in another tier of processing that will um, extract the most from a particular commodity, then um, there's access to funding. So it might be about just doing research. It might be um, diversification. It might be managing waste. Uh, it might be joining forces with other organisations who can use your waste product to, to factor into their business. So it's a really it's a really useful website, certainly one worth looking at. I was going to ask you, because I know that you've been looking at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Well, funnily enough, that's what I was about to say. So great minds think alike. Yeah, um, I came across the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. It's actually been in existence for many years, but it's only really just come to my awareness now as I've been doing this research. And um, this sort of led me on to a TED talk that she did in 2015. And here, Ellen MacArthur takes us through a journey from being a yachtswoman. So she did a record-breaking um, solo trip around the world, which she talks about. But how she founded the Ellen MacArthur Foundation 
with a mission to accelerate the transition towards this circular economy that we're talking about. It's a really, really good talk, as most TED Talks are. I, I don't think I found one that I would say, you really shouldn't watch that. But this one, 16 minutes of your time, and you get to hear an amazing story about how she got to... Um, become this um, solo sailor and how she actually traveled around the world and an insight into the way that she came up with this idea to let go of the world of sailing and and sort of throw herself wholeheartedly into working towards a circular economy uh, her website's full of resources as well so th there was a little extract from the ted talk but i had to go to the the ted talk website itself to get the detail um, but also on her website there's links to resources and courses now there there are quite a large number of courses some paid for some free and the, there's one that caught my eye it's called circular economy and introduction it's completely free and it's its aim is to help you to learn to contribute to a sustainable economic system by implementing novel business and design approaches so if you're interested and in, in learning more about how you can become part of the circular economy this seems like a great place to start it's led by an organisation called TU Delft and it's co-created with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and the Leiden Delft Erasmus Centre for Sustainability. So you'll learn what the circular economy is, the business value in the circular economy, longer lasting products, remanufacturing, waste equals food, thinking in systems and giving back it looks like a, a cracking little course to do and it's all completely free so we'll put the link for that on our website the business.community when we put the podcast online there are also some really interesting examples some case studies of the ways in which so so sometimes for me anyway i need to see examples of what this is in practice so that yeah. I can kind of get my head around and that might in itself might just promote some some thinking. And at the moment, um, you know, we're all struggling with headspace, but sometimes it is an opportunity to just throw all conventional thinking out of the <laughs> out of the way, which we've been having to do and think about the business, your business in a different light. So it may be that even on a very small scale, you can make it make a, a change that will impact um, and and contribute to the to the circular economy. There's a lot of requirement at the moment to rethink how we do things, and the circular economy requires you to rethink. Um, on the Ellen MacArthur website, it talks about rethinking progress. What is progress? Rethink, redesign the way that the economy works, and and thinking about all the systems that go into making the economy work so now might be a good time if you're pondering the nature of the economy and and life itself at the moment you know it, it's the opportunity perhaps to think about how you could do things differently in your business your existing business or any new business ideas that you might get on the back of this you're listening to the business community on Calan FM. And in other news this week, there's an app that loads of people appear to be downloading at the moment. We actually mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, and that's House Party, where you can play Pictionary and Trivial Pursuit with your friends online. 
And we've been using it, haven't we, Heather? Yes. And I understand a lot of people are using it for their kids to stay in touch with their school friends. Yes, that's nice. However, there has been a bit of a scare on social media. There have been a number of people saying on social media that as a result of using House Party, that they've had their PayPal, their Netflix and their Spotify and their online accounts compromised. Now, House Party themselves have said that they've got no evidence to suggest a link between House Party app and the compromises of these other unrelated accounts. And they did say people really shouldn't use the same password across different accounts. So if that's the, the case for you, maybe consider changing some passwords. But actually, reading a couple of articles, there appears to be little evidence that House Party's been hacked. And there may be other reasons why accounts have been compromised. For example, Netflix and Spotify are amongst the top um, services targeted by hackers globally anyway. And you know, it may, it may be a coincidence. People are coming to the conclusion that it's House Party that's caused the compromise because that was perhaps the last app that they've downloaded. So just be careful. There is no evidence at the moment to say that House Party is causing the, these compromised accounts. But, you know, just check, maybe change some of your passwords, uh, have a look and see what apps you've actually still got on your phone if you haven't actually cleansed your, your apps on your phone recently. Uh, and just be mindful of um, being careful of what you download. I came across a, a link on LinkedIn uh, from Best Companies. Um, that's bestcompanies.co.uk. They're the organisation that compile the best companies to work for list. And we've mentioned them a few times. Um, and their founder, Jonathan Austin, um, had posted saying that, you know, he felt quite powerless as to what he could do to help. The, the workforce of the organisations that are involved in the list. So he's opened out um, a free survey to all businesses. Um, he's talking about the fact that it's really important at the moment that we understand the feelings of our staff and their potential anxieties. So they've launched a pulse survey, which is free of charge. And the data that it generates is free of charge and available to managers. Um, but it's, it, it just enables you to just keep that barometer check on how people are feeling, which is really, really important at the moment. And I think, you know, that isn't going to go away anytime soon. So I thought that was that was that was interesting. Um, and then I also uh, on a slightly lighter note, I came across an article from the beginning of March um, about an organisation called uh, Rotacloud based in Yorkshire. And they... Um, give staff a yearly budget to spend on plants. So that's all about making the work environment, you know, feeling um, less clinical and also, you know, promoting that sense of well-being. And I thought, well, what a great idea, apart from me, because I kill plants. But they uh, they said that they introduced it um, at the back end of, of 2019 um, it's been going for about six months. They've got about 70 plants in the office <laughs> and everybody gets £10 a year to spend on plants, um, although they've um, they've negotiated a special rate with a local company called Botanic so that they can um, uh, benefit from you know perhaps having more than one plant on their desk. So I just thought that was a really nice one. So if, if you're working at home, um, or if you're working at the office and uh, you, you're on a reduced 
staff level, maybe take yourself a pot plant in. Might might just make <laughs> you feel a bit better because I think that you know it, it certainly looks much nicer. Um, and then finally, uh, there was an article, just an interesting read, actually. Um, it goes back to 2017, um, but it's in Harvard Business Review. And it's a study that used sensors to show that men and women are treated differently at work. Um, we talk a lot about um, gender equality, pay equality, all of those different things. But this is about how we act at work. And I, I just thought it was a really interesting read in terms of um, dispelling some myths, but also um, but also supporting, you know, the way that we we are different. You know, me, what is it? Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Um, and, and all of that uh, allows us as managers to perhaps put away any gender bias that might exist or make allowances for the different ways in which people work together so i won't go into details but i think it's i think it's just a really interesting article i've got one more story that i wanted to share oh this i'm is... sorry darling okay that's <laughs> okay so this communication from miles and miles away isn't quite working is it i i put my hand up on little wave yes yeah no don't forget me i've got another story to talk about so this one's dear to my heart, and that's the news that Carluccio's has gone into administration, mm -hmm. a restaurant I've always been very fond of. And they've blamed challenging trading conditions worsened by the pandemic. And they're looking for different options. Sorry, they, meaning the administrators, wondering whether to mothball it and use government to support, trying to sell off parts of it. So th there's a, a whole story to, to come out of this. Um, but I was just reading a couple of um, comments on the, the situation with Carluccio's. And the Associate Dean at Warwick Business School, John Colley, says that he doesn't think that the company's problems are only due to the coronavirus outbreak. And it's happened so quickly that it can't purely be down to that. So in his opinion, they've overexpanded and a lot of restaurant chains have done just that, haven't they? And uh, it, he says that the coronavirus was perhaps just the last straw, you know, sort of that pushed them over the edge. But the issues that they were struggling with were there anyway. And the number of restaurant insolvencies last year, I think they, they climbed 10% to 1,500. And, and pubs also, um, they're, they're, uh, the number of pubs that went bust increased by 10% as well. So challenging times as well as the coronavirus. But I, I just wanted to give a special mention to Carluccio's because I've had some very lovely meals there in the past and I'll be very sad to see it go. In our discovery section each week, we try to find things that you might not have happened upon um, that would be useful or interesting for you in your business. And this week, I've got a book um, that uh, was written by a guy that I have mentioned in the past on the, on the show, um, a guy called Paul Lindley, who was the founder of Ella's Kitchen. And he, um, if my memory serves me correctly, he started this baby food business which he sold for 66 million um and i think he started it basically at home making wholesome organic nutritious food for his children uh, and they're the little pouches that you see 
they're quite colourful and they're quite funky. Um, but he wrote a book um, called Little Wins, The Huge Power of Thinking Like a Toddler. And he works on the basis that, you know, have have you got a brilliant idea uh, and how do you then escalate that and grow that uh, and get it to a point where it, it's got it's sustainable, it's got impetus um, and and it, it's, it is a really interesting um, premise in that it's split into four parts. And the first part is learning to smile. The second part is learning to walk. The third is learning to talk. And the fourth is learning to play. Oh, and I just, no, that explains it. I was wondering how being like a toddler yeah. could help you in business. My mind was doing all sorts of yeah. weird things. But yeah, now that makes sense. It's really clever. So the learning to smile bit, it um, has a chapter about being confident and being creative. And then learning to walk, dive right in and never give up. And of course, that is what we that's what we do. Learning to talk, get noticed, be honest, show your feelings and learning to play, have fun and involve others. And he talks a lot about being a business with purpose. Um, he talks about putting people at, at the centre of the business. He's the guy who said that a company doesn't exist. A company is a piece of paper. It's people that make the company so this book um yeah i just think it's 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 fairly easy to read um but he having seen him speak he, i i like i like the i like him you know i just think he's a good egg it's easy to be a good egg when you've got 66 million in the bank but he's also involved with the toast beer company that we talked about earlier so um yeah can you see a, a comparison between those you know, being like a toddler and growing your business? Well, now you've mentioned it, yes. Um, when, when you first mentioned it, I had all sorts of things in mind, like um, smearing food on your face and uh, <laughs> <laughs> writing on the walls and things. <laughs> and that, that might have some value in the workplace, but I couldn't make the immediate connection. But th there is that... Um, that thing about learning to walk that we, we hear this metaphor quite a bit is that you don't just expect to get up and be able to walk. If you look at a, a child learning to walk, they fall down, they stand up and they walk again and they learn from actually their experience of walking and falling and then getting up again. So I can I really relate to that one. Mm -hmm. um, and I like the fact that he's used that analogy and his business is a baby food business. I just, I just like the synergy of those two things, and it, it feels really neat to me. Yeah, he talks a lot about um, about baby steps. You know that you, you don't expect, as you say, to be brilliant on day one. That's not going to happen. Um, but he also focuses on before we can start to think like a toddler, we need to put ourselves back in that mindset. So we need to try and park all of the yeah but because a child it's difficult isn't it yeah yeah it, that will never work because well a child never says that a child will try anything because they haven't got that historical they're learning the things that say no that isn't going to work um yeah that's so yeah it. so a good book anyway what have you got tracy right um this is an article i found from april 2019 and it seemed like it was really relevant to the 
to today's situation. Um, the title of the article in Management Today is A Quick Leadership Tip for Boosting Morale. And the subheading um, is When You're a Leader, Good News Can Feel Like a Rarity. Now, isn't that true? Isn't it just? Yeah. And so this chap, uh, Andrew Barraclough, his name is, he's the global, or he was in April 2019, I'm sorry, I haven't rechecked his status, but in 2019, he was the global VP for design and innovation for GlaxoSmithKline. And in an interview with Management Today, he shared this technique to maintain morale. And he says to he encourages his team to send him at least one piece of good news a week. And then he passes that a piece of good news on to his boss as well. He, he tries to pass on at least one good thing that his team has done. And I think that's a really interesting suggestion. I trust that he does that in real life. It's not just something he came up with for an interview. Mm -hmm. But then it got me thinking as to how you get your organisation into the mindset to do that, actually. You know, how do you get your team to feed upwards the good stories? And and I guess that you've got to get them to trust you when you say you want to hear a good story as well. Mm. Um, because we're, we're often very quick to share the bad stories and to pass yeah. on the things that aren't going so well. So... And there's no prizes for this. They don't, they don't get handouts for having done something good. It's literally the acknowledgement that something good has happened in the team. And I was just wondering as to ways we can do this, particularly with a lot of people remote working at the moment. How can you spread that sense that some good stuff is still going on without it being like that you're blowing your own trumpets or that you're, you know, you're chirping on your the one who's trying to be upbeat all the time when everybody's feeling a bit miserable. What do you think, Heather? I think it's really difficult, but but I I would look at personally I would look at it from a, a, a different angle. I would ask the team to say something that somebody else has done that's a positive story. Because I we do find it hard to say, yeah, I did a great job there, uh, because we're taught to be modest beyond belief. Um, yeah. Whereas actually, if we're invited to spot things that people have done well, then we're actually celebrating the team, but we're celebrating other people's inputs. And sometimes people find that easier. But the overall effect is we're moving forward. We've got momentum. We've got impetus. What we're doing matters. Yeah. Now, I guess, you know, you run the risk that everybody just says, oh, Tracy's amazing. Tracy's amazing. She did this. She did that. So you you need to ask people and prime people to to, you know, to look at the small things as well as the significant things. And it could just be that somebody made you smile or or sent a funny story around that that brought the team together. It's yeah. those types of things. It doesn't it's have to be... Like you've landed a major deal no. every week. You know, it's not that sort of thing. I think, no. like you say, it's, you know, I, I, I managed to connect to Skype and record a radio show this week. Exactly, actually, that's quite, yeah. That's quite major, actually, so maybe that's yeah. not a good example. <laughs> but, you know, it, the little things, the good stuff that's happening around us all the time, because it can be quite easy to get stuck in the negative mindset. The little things, just one good thing that's happened today, one good thing that you're just going to pass on to somebody, one good little thing that's happened today. Yeah. <laughs> 
I would also hope that Mr. Barraclough uh, takes part in that as well and shares with his team something good that he thinks has happened this week. Or it's interesting that one because he says he took he passes that on to his boss, so it's like an upward thing. But I yeah. actually think yeah, maybe if it's going the other way as well, then. Or maybe that's just expected that he does tell them when they've done a good thing. I don't know what the culture is like in his team. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I'd like to think that he, if you're asking your team to do something, I mean, if you're asking your team to to come up with the most pressing issue of the week, then I think it would be fair for you to do the same. So, so I, I don't. I never really like the whole. I want you to do this, but I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Or you're not going to see evidence of me doing it. I think you've got to walk the talk. So it may be that it may be that it's his boss that's asked for this yeah. information and he's just passing it on. OK, fair enough. But I'd like to think that he, as a minimum, says, look, do you know what, team? This thing was fantastic from my point of view, looking at you as a team. You're listening to the business community on Callan FM. And our profile this week is of Julian Hearn. And he is the founder and chief marketing officer of Huel. I think I'm pronouncing that right, Heather. Human Fuel Huel, yes. Huel, okay. He's not somebody I've been aware of before, Heather. So thank you for putting him on my radar. Well, I, I, I had no idea who he was, but I've seen the product, you know, it's a product that just didn't even exist as far as, and as far as I was aware. And now when you go into the likes of Holland and Barrett and you, you see these big tubs and big boxes of stuff and you go, what the heck's that? And of course, it's 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 big business. Human fuel. Human fuel. Yes. Yeah. I've seen it on water bottles or, or bottles that have got like protein mixes or whatever it is in them. Um, yeah. Not really connected the dots with. Um, Julian Hearn. It was really interesting to dig into the background of the company. Also, one of my best finds of the day is on the website, um, hool.com. He's got something called Hooligans, which are, um, I'm, I'm guessing, <laughs> social media influencers. <laughs> We've talked about those quite a bit in the past. And, and these are people that are associated with a brand seem to be using a brand uh, in order to promote that brand so I went to have a look at these hooligans and uh, there were only two names that I recognized uh, one was Niall Horan who I believe is in a in a pop band yes I believe <laughs> yes is a gentleman called Matthew Pritchard who is known as uh, Dirty, Dirty Sanchez or the Dirty Vegan he's done some TV shows. Um, he's a very tattooed skateboarding gentleman. He's he's a bit older than some of the other social media hooligans on the website, uh, but I only know him from having seen his programmes on the TV. All of the rest of them are way younger and way more beautiful than me, and so I'm guessing that the target market is certainly it's not, not me. It's not well, us, I'm is it? I'm going to include you as well, Heather, but it's now you say so it. not us. No. <laughs> The way that the marketing's been done, clearly um, Julian here is the marketing officer. He did a degree in marketing at Bournemouth University. And he's had a really interesting mix of jobs in the field of marketing before he set up his businesses. And, and so, you know, he certainly put in the legwork 
this guy's done some work in other well-known businesses before and um, there's a little bit on the website which talks about why he created Hool. Have you seen that one, Heather? I haven't. No, I haven't. What What was his thinking apart from making a lot of money? What well, yeah, he... he said, obviously, his first business was a cash generator. So that was the, the mashup media that we talked about. That was there to create money for him. But he says that money wasn't the objective for Hool, although I'm, I imagine it's quite convenient as money is um but he says yeah um, obviously money is the lifeblood of a business but who is so much more than that and he wanted to create a business to do the right thing for the planet uh, for its staff and most important importantly for its customers but the key tests were would his friends use and wear the clothing unprompted so they weren't just wearing them to do him a favor mm. and would his son be proud and tell his friends, my daddy runs Hool? Okay, well, that's, yeah, that's nice. Right. It's a whole sector that has just completely passed me by, really. But like, the, the the thinking is that there are a lot of meal supplements. You, this is complete food. And this is a little bit like when I was a kid, you know, they used to talk about, oh, by the year 2000, we'll all just be eating little capsules that, you know, represent certain meals, you know. And uh, and this is kind of it because he's talking about people who who want nutrition um, haven't always got time during the day to cook or make. And you only have to look at if you're out and about in your car and you need to stop and get some lunch. Chances are you're going to be getting a sausage roll or a, a sandwich. And that's not necessarily what everybody wants to be eating. So this is vegan. It's um, it's nutritional. It, it has a mix of carbohydrate and protein and all of the different things that you need. So if, if you've got a, a shake in your car, then you can just make that out of water. Um, you're getting everything that you need. So I suppose it is the kind of the modern qu equivalent of just. But I like my food. I like to experience <laughs> food. <laughs> But you, you are active, though, Heather. You, you do go on a, a daily run, don't you? Well, I, yeah. Well, it's a walk at the moment. So I'm just okay. so I get an hour outdoors. But um, but yeah, it, it it's interesting. And I think for the people who 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 use these products, fantastic. You know, it's um, it's their sort of thing. But it, it's it's massive business. It's a massive business. So I had a look at some of his social media presence. So he's on LinkedIn. Uh, his bio on LinkedIn is three words, founder at Hool. And that's where you, I got to find out about his degree at Bournemouth in marketing. He's got all of his um, previous jobs listed on there. Um, he's got over 500 connections on LinkedIn. Uh, on Instagram, he's... Um, founder of Hool and over 100 million meals sold to over 100 countries. His Instagram account has got surprisingly low number, actually, 1,332 followers. Uh, and his posts are generally promo posters and links to podcasts. Now, he says he doesn't often read books. He prefers podcasts. And I've got to say, I'm quite jealous of his um, recording setup in the Hool offices, which I, I think that's where they are anyway. It looked like he was doing his podcast recording from within the offices there. 
bit better than my home recording setup here at the moment, just saying. Because there is one book that he would re recommend to others that definitely helped him on his journey. And he says that's the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. I've never heard of it. He says it's an old book and some of the references are out of date, but he reckons it's the best book on marketing and is extremely practical. So I had a look at Facebook, really not worth going there to his account on Facebook, no posts since August last year. And then his own personal account on Twitter, he's got about uh, 1,300 followers, an extra one today when I added myself. Get Who itself has got... 13.7 thousand followers so slightly bigger and his most recent tweet on his personal account was from the 26th of March and he talks about winning El Elantra's food and beverage fast 500 this year so uh, the growth rate was the highest they'd ever seen in over a decade um, based on a two-year compound annual growth rate of 161.2%. That's wow. pretty impressive. I think it's worth mentioning that he didn't just set up an, um, a food business on a whim. He did join forces with somebody who is a nutritionist. So it's actually um, he invested and James Collier who is a nutritionist probably was the brains behind the you know what what makes what makes this product and apparently it includes things like oats pea protein flaxseed brown rice protein some vitamins some minerals and vanilla flavor or banana or strawberry or chocolate or cappuccino or chocolate mint i'd need to be um i'd need to be using <laughs> some of the flavors to just vary it a bit so these meal replacements have have been around for a long time i, I can remember my nan and my granddad having them uh, when when they needed building up you know they're going through an illness and uh, they had them and I mustn't have been I must have been in my early teens maybe when they were having these things so and then we've obviously a bit more into our generation Heather with the slim fasty type things yeah but now what Hool have done is they've, they've repackaged marketed it to a younger generation and uh, seems to be doing that very successfully yeah I wonder as with so many of these things, you know, they almost pose more questions than answers. It seems that it's predominantly male that, that are using the products, um, a sort of 70-30 split, I think. But I do wonder what the long-term effects will be uh, because there's a reason why we don't just drink stuff. I mean, just, just in terms of keeping everything working <laughs> in your body for want of a better expression you know how's that going to work if it's just to replace the occasional meal maybe okay but if people are doing this and not eating normal food for want of a better word I wonder what the impact will be from what I've seen with a lot of these things they, they don't recommend that you replace all of your solid food with a drink no, no. he I mean he He's an interesting marketeer. I think that some of it, some of the articles around um, his marketing ethos and marketing strategies are really interesting. I think he's a speaker. I think he goes around on the um, on the speaker circuit and talks about how to you know how to take an, an idea and take it to market. Um, so you know, I think he's probably one to watch. I don't know if he's done any videos or any TED talks or anything yet. It um, appears in a lot of podcasts and uh, a lot of articles. Uh, even on the whole website, he talks about how 
he grew the company. And you can sort of see in here that there's plenty of material for after dinner speaking and for talks and maybe if he's you know going to go on to do other things with it uh you know really reasonable sort of stuff but he's using the background of Hool itself as a platform on which to you know say look I've done this I've made a success he says creating a brand isn't easy and then he, he rattles off um, a list of top tips which are pretty good so you know from start <laughs> without action you have zero chance so actually just get started yeah um work your a off uh, fill in the yeah. gap for the a um yeah. make your customers happy create a powerful and enduring mission create a brand that people love to be associated with brand is every touch point speed wins don't be afraid to fail and, and obviously, I'm, I'm just reading the headlines here. He does give some details, a, a little paragraph with each of these. Uh, go around, over, under, and straight through barriers. Ensure you have a powerful and lasting motivator and create a strong culture. Now, these, these aren't brand new things. He's not um, saying anything that we haven't heard before. He's just putting it in the context of his own success with his own brand. And that, obviously, people can relate to that. There's a bit of me that wonders if the brand came first and then the product almost, you know, because because the fact that there's merchandise, you know, there's clothing, there's bottles, etc. Um, and that and when you see pictures of him, he is wearing the branded hoodie or the branded T-shirt. And it's that sort of I wonder what the balance actually is in terms of um, the, you know, the, the the income generation for the business. I'm sure the drinks is, is massive, but I just wonder whether it was. Here's a brand, and I would imagine with his background in marketing that the the ideas were all born together. Mm. I'm going to create a business, but it can't just be a one trick pony. We've got this broad array of income generating products and ideas that go with it as well. Mm. That would be my guess. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's an an article in Elite Business Magazine, a very long article, and it talks about his whole his whole story. But also talks about some of the, you know, his um, his attitude and his approach and what he thinks and what he's learnt. Um, so I think for anybody, okay, you might not be in the market for a massive, massive business like this. But again, with so many of these people who have proven success, there will be little strands that can can translate and transfer to um, to local businesses just as much as they can to huge multi. Well. He, he says that they've only got a UK website. So they've done all of this off, off, off of one website. They haven't gone to multiple different countries. So um, watch this space, I guess. Well, that's about all we've got time for this week. Last week, we recorded on Zoom. This week, we've recorded on Skype. Who knows what we'll be doing next week? But... I'll send you a letter, Heather. <laughs> you can reply by post. <laughs> you've been listening to the business community with me tracy jones and me heather noble join us again next week for more news views and reviews from the world of business